0: Well, today started uh, NFL. Can I get a witness out there, right? And I was watching some of the um, games this morning. I realized that though the stadium had no fans, it felt like there were fans in the game this morning. And I realized, just like NFL, that they provided crowd noises in the game this morning. So it felt so real. But it was what I would call a counterfeit. I felt jaded, Hawaiians. I felt like I had haka-ka in my heart against these boggers, bro. You know, like, oh, this is exciting. Even there was different kinds of effects, right? When they would score a touchdown, it would be like, yeah, 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 yeah. There was a roaring sound during field goal attempts, and kickoffs, and all that. And, and as we looked at the crowd, at the crowd, or where people would sit in the stadium in the bleachers, it was empty, right? Isn't it like the church today? Right? It isn't like God's church today. We have to put on some effects and counterfeits to make people wanting to be with God's people. Right? And you guys may not know this, but um, you realize there was a the piano in the service all day today? Did you see a piano play up on the stage today? And you may like, wait, we're doing counterfeit gospels in here too, Kyle? No, actually, it helps our band to be tighter together. Our band learned music in the church, right? They, Kaimana, right? Kaimana learned the drums a few months ago. And look at him. He's just serving the Lord loud and proud, right? Like, so we use things to, to help us be engaged. So as we look at these football games, it's, it's not always bad, but... It helped me to engage myself in the game, and today we're going to talk about living life with Jesus, right? How would, do we live life with Jesus today when he's no longer here? The Bible says he died on the cross, he rose on the third day, he spent 40 days talking about the kingdom of God, as we see in the, in the letter of Acts, and then after that 40 days, he ascended back up to heaven, the angels from heaven came down Told his followers, no trip. He coming back, right? When you least expect it, he'll be back until he returns. Continue to live life with Jesus. Huh? How's that possible? He's not here. Well, Acts 2 comes along and the promise of the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, it was Jesus spiritually in the flesh through his disciples. So as we look at this series, Life with Jesus, Life with Jesus is really fleshed out through a few ways. Number one, through His Holy Spirit, amen. Secondly, through His church. The church is not a building, it's a body, a people group, a people of believers who belong to Christ, and ultimately as we digest through it, it's through His scriptures. Are you with me today? And so we have decided to kick back off our expository teaching message through the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is really, here's our heart for the Gospel of Mark, specifically in this series entitled Life with Jesus. The heart of our series is that Christianity is all about what? Say that with me. Relationships. Our relationship with Christ, our relationship with his church, and our relationship with others. You're going to find out that in life, Everything is centered on this one word relationship. Dr. Floyd said that we believe in the scriptures. The biggest word that stands out is the word love. And he would, he would concur that there is importance with the word love, but it's probably not the most important word. It's actually a word that's not even used in the scripture, but it's implied because of love. And Dr. Floyd would say that he believes that the most important word in the scriptures is relationship. You see, there can never be love apart from relationship. This is defined through the Godhead, the doctrine of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They have a relationship with one another. Our relationship here on earth as followers of Christ is the result and the connection to that same relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Everything that we are is connected with this one doctrine. Therefore, as we live life with Jesus, though he's not here in bodily form, he is here in bodily form. How do we know? His spirit lives in you and me. Now, I'm not saying that you're the Messiah. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm the Lord. I'm saying that we are his Ohana, who submits to him. And so what else is to do? I want you to turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 11. we are continuing on through our verse-by-verse series. And we're going to skip verse 12, 13, and 14, and we're going to pick up from verse 15 to verse 19. And Cahu Marcus will preach next Sunday... And bring back up these verses that we're going to not talk about today. As you are there, would you stand with me in the reading of God's perfect holy word? If you don't have a copy, it's okay. We have the screen for you. The gospel of Mark is delivered in this way. And they, Jesus and his disciples, came to Jerusalem. And he entered the what? Say that word. Temple. And began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, it, is it not written... Remember those three words. Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of what, everybody? Prayer for all the nations. But you, you have made it a dens of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy Jesus. For they feared Jesus because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, They went out of the city. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you for spiritual comprehension today. We beg you that we wouldn't try to be here in sense of formality, but God will be here because we want to know you. We want to have intimacy with you. We want to have a relationship with you. We want to have a fellowship. We want to have fellowship with you through the proclamation, the teaching of your holy word. Oh, God, be with us through this season. We know you are, but we make petition that you make evident in our hearts and our minds, in our spirit, that you are with us, you are for us, you're not against us, but you will be us to the very age as Jesus promised in the New Testament. Lord, whatever's clouding our minds from experiencing truth today, would you correct it? Would you rebuke it? Would you reprove it? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we say loud and proud. Amen. You may be seated. We're talking about a continuation of the life of Jesus with his disciples and himself. Last week, we talked about Passion Week. There's a significant shift that takes place in this text today. Because last week, we talked about the beginning week of Easter. And on a Sunday, specifically, on a Sunday, Passover week, Jesus and his disciples come back into Jerusalem from Jericho. Jesus rides on a donkey, right? And it was a symbolic prophecy of the Old Testament that the king of kings would fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament through one of the ways of identifying him riding on a pure donkey through the cities. It said that the coats were put on the ground. People's coats, garments were put on the ground. Palm trees was lifted over the coats. And the king of kings rode the donkey donkey through the city, ending up at the temple. As a brief moment in the temple, that Jesus walks in there, looks briefly, then was Pauhana for the day, and then go back to Bethany, Bethany, where they were stopped at before they entered the city. This is significant, because the next day has arrived in what we just rode. And Jesus ends back in Jerusalem, With his followers. This is the second day of Passion Week. Are you with me? So you could literally call this Monday. And from Monday all the way to Good Friday, there's all these events that takes place that Mark, the author, is explaining to us on what Passion Week with Jesus looked like. But there's a shift As the day earlier, there was a celebration of the king of kings walking in in all his glory, in all his splendor. But today, there's a shift because Jesus arrives at the temple. And the temple of God, the house of God, where God sat on his holy of holies in the inner inner court, made up of three different courts in this temple, was being used for self gain. And as we look at our text today, I want to remind you of last week's realities. We had three views of how we are to follow Jesus. And life with Jesus called us last week to follow Him, to worship Him, and to remain with Him. No matter the circumstances, we remain with Him. No matter the adversity that comes our way, we remain in Him. Why? Because we don't serve a puny God. We serve a God who is great, a God who is worth everything, a God who is worthy of all praise. We serve a God who is the MVP of all football games. We serve a God that when the day of the end comes, he will be highly exalted, lifted up. His angels of heaven will shout, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And we get to be a part of that God day. That's what makes me coach football today. Despite all the haka I know the God who is greater than my adversity. Despite the, the attendance or whatever the case is in football and church and whatever, people going in and out of our lives, I can do what God has called me to do. Because the call of God is not a call to do stuff for God. The call of God is a call to be intimate with him, to have relationship with him, to have fellowship with him. And the result of this fellowship is following and remaining in him. therefore, he deserves our worship. These words are clear. Here's three additional life views with Jesus that I want you to see. Number one, life with Jesus is a call to holiness, It's a call to holiness. The word holiness is the word set apart. Another English word is the word righteousness. To be holy is to be right with God because God is pure. God is right. In verse 15, we see that these disciples and Jesus enters the temple and Jesus begins what Mark uses as words to drive them out. Jesus is the offense on this scene. He's not the defender. He's the offense. He's driving. He's attacking. And we're not using these words figuratively like some of those soft preachers out there in America. Jesus is physically moving people out of the house of the Lord. And so there's really two evaluating questions we need to ask. Why is Jesus driving these people out, right? Number two, why did Jesus return to the temple? Number one, why did Jesus return to the temple? And number two, why did Jesus drive people out of the temple? Let's look at the first question. Jesus came to the temple specifically because the rhythm of his life was to teach people about the Father. He was a preacher. He was a teacher. This is the purpose of the temple of God, that people would gather at the temple of God to worship him through teaching and hearing the word. I mean, you can't get better than that, Hawaiians, right? To, to, to see the Lord Jesus, the, the Lord, right? The God of the universe be your teacher in physical form. You can't get better than that. I want you to see the importance of what Jesus put priority on in the word, in the era of scriptures. Psalms 119. It's not on the screen, just listen. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? Here's the answer by guarding it according to God's word. Psalms 119.105 says, Your word, your Bible, your scriptures, there's other words, rather, right? your law, your precepts, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 35 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Isaiah 55:11 says so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Listen to me very clear. We know this to be true. These scriptures have lasted thousands of years. It has over 40 different authors, human authors. It has been written on three different continents, Europe, Africa, Asia, right? For 2,000 years, 1,500 to 2,000 years, in 40 different authors, they all preach one same message. Who? Jesus. That's a miracle. How can you do that unless you're God. So the priority of God's life for His people is not to look for dreams, signs, and wonders, as a lot of churches do, but to look at the original dream and the original sign, the original wonder that God Himself has canonized, the Holy Word, the Scriptures. I want to let you know, I want to be clear with you, as I've met with some people this week about churches wanting to meet with us, talking about creating a revival in this city because of what's happened on My main question to them was, where did this feeling come from? Where did this revival feeling come from? Because here's the problem in the the evangelical church, the Protestant church. We're a Protestant church, right? A Baptist church, right? Here's the problem. We're trying to do stuff for an event to happen where there is an important event that happened 2,000 years ago that we already feed off of from. We don't need another event. But when we're focused for signs and wonders and dreams and outbursts of effects from the body, we're neglecting the one very thing that Jesus himself is saying. The word is sufficient. The word is enough. Why do you think a lot of people don't last in church very long? Because their feelings was hurt, right? Which is true, right? People in the church is hypocrites, which is true, right? You're a hypocrite too, so the matter is just come together, be hypocrites together, and look at the one who's not a hypocrite. Hello, all right? Uh, uh, And as we look at this temple, right, Jesus used doctrine as a platform to explain his relationship with the Father. Jesus was both the author and the teacher of these doctrines. The Word of God points us to holiness, which is an attribute of God. So so the second question is, you know, of this, why did Jesus come to the temple? Here's the second answer. To observe the Passover. If you remember Passover, we find this story in Exodus chapter 12 in the Old Testament. That Pharaoh did not want to let God's people go. So God told Moses to tell his people to put uh, lamb's blood on the doorway. And then when God comes in, all havoc is going to be busted out. So those who had blood over their doors, the Spirit of God would... Skip them and go to the ones who did not have blood on the door. It's a picture of Jesus on the cross. Jesus is our Passover, and at this point, though, Jesus didn't die yet on the cross, Jesus is pointing them to the true Passover comes, Good Friday during this week of Passion Week. If there's anything that the Passover teaches us is that God is holy. God is righteous. God is perfect. Therefore, it's a reminder that we are ought to be holy just like God. Now, listen to me. This is not a condition based on you. This is a gift based on God who gives us this gift. Does that make sense? Like, we're not trying to be holy for the sake of being holy. Let me ask you a question. How many of you try to be good, but you end up not being good? How many of you tried to go on a diet and end up not keeping to a diet? How many of you tried to speak words of encouragement to your spouse, however, the next day, it was not happening, Kahu. Right? All all one of you, you liar. Shame on you. Have a new wheel in there, yeah? No. Right? That's the reality. Why? Because we fix our rightfulness on what we bring to the table. But the only thing we bring to the table is our sin. So when we try to be good, Oh, I ain't at hearts, You ain't gonna be good. Tell your neighbor, eh, you not good. Now, now say it like you mean it, you with your mask on and all that, alright? Say, eh, you not good. Now another church in this city will say, Oh, but you're perfect just the way you are, brother. No, you're not, that's sinful. Right? Kahiyo, Kahiyo, why are you acting up today? Do not do that, Kahiyo. What Kahiyo does? He do them. Why? Because we are born and infected with this thing called sin. And sin is not just a spack on the arm. We are infected by it. Like, listen to me. I want, to hear you. I want you to hear very clear. That mask on your face may protect you from viruses around this facility. But that mask is not going to save you from hell. You could die with coronavirus, right? And for all eternity spend in hell forever. Well, let me give you some good news today. Right? You don't have to wear a spiritual mask. You can be up front with a holy God and say, God, I'm sinful in need of your grace today. Jesus, in his sovereign grace, comes to the temple and he reveals this grace to them by first off driving them out for dishonoring the Passover and dishonoring God himself. Are you with me? So holiness, right? Holiness is a serious thing. Question number two, why did Jesus drive people out of the temple. It's very clear, as I said it earlier, right? They use God's house as a marketplace. In John's account of this very same story, he says in chapter 2, verse 14, in the temple, Jesus found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. Jesus drops the bomb on everyone in this room while he is driving them out and he uses this phrase specifically in our text is it not written is it to me i pray that when we share scriptures we would be like jesus where we could say is it not written and move forward in that and what jesus does right Jesus explains this word written and the phrase it is not written is the Greek word Grapho. It's where we get the English word graph From and what happens Jesus shares this graph of truth about the priority of scripture when he uses that term It is not is it not written And what we know about the Bible the Bible teaches a few things that we say every week number one The the scriptures are authoritative It's our playbook guys Number two the scriptures are infallible Right, meaning there's no error in it. Number three, the scriptures are all powerful. Can I get a witness out there, right? And number four, the scriptures are sufficient. Meaning, as I said earlier in the last couple weeks, we don't need signs and visions and modern day apostles and modern day prophets to tell us how to follow Jesus. Hawaiians, here you go. We got them right here. It's pure, it's holy, it's clear. But what happens is this is the deceitfulness of relationship. We will trust relationship with man versus relationship with God's word. Not me, not you. We have to look and counsel everything by God's word. Therefore, this is what I feel God is telling me is the worst statement you could tell anybody. If you see a pastor, if you go to different churches and you see a pastor and, you come, and he comes up to the pulpit and he says, this is what I feel God is telling me. But the Bible ain't open up. He's not preaching specifically from the text when he says that phrase. But he just said, I think that, that, is, that is a fallacy. Be careful of preachers and teachers who say, this is what I feel. This is what I see. This is because if it does not come from it is written. It's not true." cannot be true. The God of Scripture will point us to Scripture to get a revelation, listen to me, from Scripture. Let me say that again. The God of Scripture will point us to Scripture to get a revelation from Scripture. Do you know we practice this in our academics today? When kids and students are asked to write out an essay, they can't just share their manao on their own accord. They have to go in the book and find in the book what that whole topic means it's called a thesis and then they have to explain that thesis in a body plot and they have to at the end of their body plot they have to come with a conclusion that answers that thesis that's the same way we should be studying the scriptures exactly the same way everything in this world is either a perverted or copycat of god himself that's true Therefore, number two, life with Jesus is a call to humility. Something I struggle with. Doesn't help that I coach football, right? Football is not the best sport to be humble in. Can I get a witness? I mean, we're trying to knock some heads off. Can I get a witness that I really like? Hard to be humble in this sense. But as Jesus uses this term, it is written, it is not written. He confirms this with a humility approach to the temple. And he states this, that my house, God's house, will be called a house of prayer. And he doesn't stop there. He says that it would be a house of prayer, not just for the Jews, but for all nations. God's house was for one main purpose, everybody, to pray. And teaching had to happen in the temple so that people knew how to pray. I'm a firm believer that a lot of people pray empty prayers because they're not preaching the teaching of Scripture. Their prayers are superficial. Their prayers are entitlement prayers. Their prayers are not sound. Therefore, teaching had to happen in the temple so that people could pray rightfully. Here's the biblical truth on the screen. The house of God was not a place for earthly prophets to be made, but rather it was a place where heaven and earth met together through the prayers of God's people. If you don't have it set, we would encourage you to set your alarm alarm clocks for 808 in the morning and in the evening. For the last eight years, since we're in Las Vegas getting our church planning training, we, we have thousands of people Who have their clocks around the world, promised kind, around the world at 8.08 praying for Hawaii. Because it's the area code of Hawaii. And we're praying specifically that God would raise up healthy gospel preaching churches. Healthy gospel preaching leaders and couples. And that they would minister to the ends of the earth. Change your clock time to that. Why? Because God has called us to seek Him. We must pray. MC Hammer said it best, right? We must pray just to make it today. It's true. Prayer is the work, then God works. How does that work? Because prayer tells God that we're in need of Him. Prayer makes us desperate for God. This is why we pray when we come here. This is why we pray every day on our calendar so that God would know that we need Him. We must pray. In the setting, prayer, in this setting, prayer was a humbling act of worship to God. The understanding of the Passover made God's people humble. Why? Because they deserve hell. But God rescued them. Therefore, the temple reminds us to be humble. For God gives us what we don't deserve. While saying that, God also pens those who are selling things in the temple as den of robbers. The word robbers is connected to Satan himself. The word robber is an illustrative term of the, the, the enemy himself, Satan. For Satan, we know, we learned last couple of weeks, that he comes to steal right? That's a robber. He comes to kill. That's a robber. And he comes to, say that last D word with me, destroy. That's a robber. A robber's job is to do those three things. So those who are defiling the temple of God, as we learned in Nehemiah, going back to Nehemiah, are sons of disobedience. Who is the father of disobedience? Say it with me loud and proud. Satan. These people use Passover. The Passover celebration and the temple of the Lord for selfish gain, right? This is called the prosperity gospel, which is in every church today. But we must address the prosperity gospel not being the true gospel. This is not holiness as we see in the temple. This is ungodliness. What happens next, it gets more interesting. I want you to see in this gospel, actually in all the gospel accounts that talks about this specific temple story, Jesus begins to go gangsta again, everybody. This is about to go gangster. How he physically kicked out everyone that was selling and being a part of this sale merchandise in the temple? In John's account, he does this by making a cord, a whip out of cord. Listen to me, Jesus went Indiana Jones before Indiana Jones was here on Earth, bro. And this right here was a miracle in itself. Why? Because he made a whip out of cords. Now, we love the, we, don't we love the water and wine story, that miracle, right? Because it pleasured us, right? It benefits us. But look at this. We don't like this story. We don't like this miracle where Jesus turns some cords into a whip. I mean, for our understanding of this, right, there is a flipped notion that, wait, is Jesus harsh too? Look at this text. The answer would be what? Yes, right. We love the Jesus is my homeboy T-shirts. You guys remember that T-shirts? We like the Jesus is love, right? In, in a in more of a philosophical way, in our own humanism mind, right? We love that Jesus, but we don't like the holy Jesus. We don't like the Jesus in this text that is wrathful, that is judge puts his judgment. This is the holiness of God. Where the holiness of God is, sin must depart. Therefore, the only way to put sin out of, its, out of its misery, right, is to pour its wrath on it. As Jesus prepared this, this didn't even fulfill the wrath that was coming that would fulfill salvation for all mankind. Jesus would demonstrate, hey, Hawaiians, you lucky you just got one whip? I want you to see that. Because four days later, Jesus would get more than a whip. Jesus would get a cross. Nails in his hands. Crown of thorns on his head. He would be spit at. He would be denied by his own followers. Peter, who would write so much of the New Testament and be involved in the New Testament. He would deny Jesus three times. Only one person would be at his crucifixion. John, the one who gives details of this account in the temple. And the commonality here, right, the problem with in here is that we are not holy apart from Christ. I think the thing we need to talk through right now is the topic of church discipline. Church discipline teaches us, I want you to hear me out, that we are to let people go. I know in Hawaiian culture, the aloha spirit Sometimes work against us because we want to try our best to keep people in our lives, right? But once you see what Jesus does, He doesn't keep these sinners in the temple, He pushes them out. Here's a great principle for all of us in this room If if there's those in your life that are causing you to be the opposite of Jesus, you ready? Release them. Let them go. And let's pray the prayer of Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy 1, that as we hand them over to Satan, that by God's grace and mercy, they would learn from their ways. So we're not letting them go for the sake of we're done with you forever. We're letting them go so that God's gospel, that could do what only God's gospel can do for them. Let them go. Mom, dad. As you train your children, they'll have their own thought. As I preach to my own heart, let them go. Don't try to be their savior. Why? There's only one savior, and you're not him. I'm not him. Let them go. God is serious about his holiness. In fact, in Matthew 28, we know the verse. Go make disciples in every nation. What does it mean to make disciples in every nation? Well, let me tell you what it does not mean. It doesn't mean to disciple more missionaries. It doesn't mean to disciple greater preachers. It doesn't mean to disciple greater worshipers. When Jesus said to make disciples in every nation, I want you to see this. He said to disciple holy people. We're not trying to get people to be better preachers, better missionaries, better worshipers. Our gift is to see them become more holy as Christ is holy. That's what we're looking for. And there's two extremes in this text. You either have a legalistic view or you have a lenient view, meaning you're about legalistic. You're too law. You're about laws. Don't do this. Don't do that. Do this. Do that. Legalistic. You're not going to even address it. Uh, lenient. You're not going to even address it. You're just going to let it go because you don't like conflict, not confrontation. But look at Jesus. Jesus is neither legalistic nor lenient. He's holy. He's perfect. Jesus is doing what we could never do for ourselves. He's purifying the body, the temple. How? By getting rid of sin. This is faithful through all scriptures. In fact, in the argument, people would say, well, Jesus was legalistic. He was harsh. He was holy. No, he wasn't because Jesus provided the remedy to this harshness, his sacrifice on the cross. Verse 17 says, and he was teaching them and saying to them, 'It it is not written That you shall keep this a house of prayer for all the nations. Here's a cool opportunity for you to hear. Not everybody was released from the table, from the temple. There were a few that Jesus allowed to remain, but he made them not carry anything in the temple as you look at verse 17. This is significant because we go back to creation in this understanding. In creation, Adam and Eve were fully naked and they were okay with it, they didn't have iPods iPhones, iPads, tablets. He didn't have that. All they had was Jesus. All they had was God. And what the temple is, the temple is a remedy that all we have is God. We don't need the money changers. We don't need these tables. We don't need these animals. All we have is God. And by seeing this, by seeing this, that Jesus allowed some of these people to remain in the temple, is this big reality. God's grace And God's mercy. These people could have been just like the other people that was kicked out of the temple. God would have been just to send all of them out. Are you with me? But in God's grace, right? In God's mercy, He allows them to remain. Here's my final thought, and we'll be Paul. Number three, we see life with Jesus is a call to honor, it is a call to honor. Verse 18 talks about these religious leaders. And I want you to see that Jesus is not a seeker-sensitive Jesus. Jesus was not trying to please the crowds and attract them with gimmicks as we are all guilty of in the church today. Jesus was serious about holiness and honoring his father. His father's temple, his house was a place of holiness that was dishonored. It is this that God modeled Us today to be modern as churches, that we are to be holy, but most churches today are not holy. They're preaching feel-good sermons. Can I get a witness? Right? They're talking about living your best life now. Ministries are created and catered to every single person. We have women's ministry, man's ministry, children's ministry. Youth ministry, uh, addict ministry, right? Recovery program ministry, all these ministries. Listen to me. I'm not against those ministries. But the problem is we cater to their sin, right? And not cater to holiness. That's what all churches have become today. We have bus ministries. We have all these ministries. And we think if we just get them to church, they're going to be good. It goes beyond that. Why? Because it's relational. It can't just be Sunday morning. Let me tell you, this is not my biggest gathering every day, guys. My biggest gathering is probably with the football team every week. And my life with them is not based on whether they come to church or not. My life with them is based on my relationship. The church is to be the church in and out the church. But listen to me. Those who call themselves Christians must be the church. They must gather. They must pray. They must worship. And as I even use that word, that's bad. Because the result of our relationship with God will be to gather, will be to worship, will be to to give, will be to be sanctified. It's the overflow of relationship with the Lord. And here's the beauty of the temple. It reveals what Jesus would demonstrate his relationship with the Father. The temple is seen differently today, but as we look at the temple The religious leaders were very ticked off at Jesus. In verse 18, it said they wanted to kill them, kill Jesus. And I want to show you how you know the gospel is making an impact on somebody's life, whether good or bad. Here's some tensions, right? Reactions. Number one, theology is challenged. Jesus challenges these people in the temple based on the quote of Isaiah, Where he said, this shall be a house of worship. Reaction number two. Tensions are created. Meaning that Jesus won over the crowd. Because they realized they sinned against God based on Isaiah's writing. Thirdly, there was another reaction. Thoughts are motivated. What was the motivation of these thoughts? I'm going to kill Jesus. And we know they'll get their wish to come true four days later on the cross. What am I saying? The gospel we preach will offend people, everybody. The gospel will offend people. How do I know this? We have been through thousands of people in this church. We have corrected people in this church. In love, in grace. We have walked alongside of them. We've given to them. We've done all this. And they've chosen to walk away from the gospel. Hear me out. Let them go. Let them go. Why? You're not God. All we can do is be like Jesus. Be faithful with the gospel. Now, can we do it in a loving way? You should do it in a loving way. In 1 Peter, it says to do it with with honor and respect. Don't let this loud voice, right? This passion of my, my pathos, right? Discourage you, right? I'm just passionate about what I believe in. I can talk like this. Well, you know what you're doing is not right. Or I can say, bruh. You're foolish. Does it change the truth of what I just said? No, just the pathos, the emotion of it. You will be judged, everyone in this room. You will be judged. And the joy of being judged is that when we find ourselves in front of God, we can say, we can hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. Men of God, embrace the gospel. Women of God, embrace the gospel. People will come at you hard. People in your family will be the worst people that come at you hard. I am, I am an experience of this, but the word says this. That, mother, that child will turn against child. Parent against uh, child. It's going to happen in these days. The religious leaders were more concerned about their ego rather than the holiness of God. Alaka'i. May we never be those leaders. They we be willing to be corrected, right? It was these religious leaders' job, right, to teach the Word of God, to secure the Word of God in the temple. They got paid to do this, and they neglected it. If this is something you are going through, that you're neglecting the holiness of God through the preaching of the Word, don't be like these people. In fact, see this correction today, guys? as a beautiful gift from God Himself. That God loves those He corrects. And those He corrects, right, will experience abundance of joy because you're not holding on to that heaven anymore. Today, the temple is different. The temple is not in a building. It's not in the holies of holies. God is not in the holy of holies. In fact, the temple is found in you, church of God. Every one of you are individual temples of the Most High. And Paul addresses this because we know this. Did you guys know what was the one significant event that happened when Jesus took his last bread on the cross? The temple that we're talking about right now was destroyed. The veil tore in two when he took his last bread and the temple was bust up. And when Jesus said to his disciples he was going to rebuild his temple, he wasn't talking about a temple made by human hands. He was talking about a temple where the cornerstone is his spirit. Guess who's that temple today? Us. The church. The ecclesia. Ecclesia in Greek is not the building. Ecclesia in Greek is the people. A specific people. Not Islam. Not Confucius. Not Buddhist. Not Shintoism. Or Hawaiiana, but God, the God of the universe whose name is Jesus today. You are the temple today. And in fact, the temple is highly thought of based on the Apostle Paul. Look at 1 Corinthians when it comes to church discipline of sexual immorality. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. Body. But a sexual immoral person sins against his own, what? Body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. Here we go. For you were, what? Bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And I want to say this because I want to say this in love. We are all guilty of this verses. Can I get a witness there? And listen to me, I want to honey honey you, lomi lomi you into this reality, okay? Listen to me. If you have failing in this area, if you still struggle in this area, God's grace is sufficient to not just give you grace, but to transform you from the inside out. Are you with me? Therefore, we can judge a true believer, not by what they do or don't do, but the promises of God that he who began a new work in you will perfect it until the very end that he's come. Well, does that mean? We're not going to be perfect, right? Right. But our life with Jesus is not about perfection, right? It's about a new direction. And that direction, is not me trying to live up to these rules and regulations for God, because in and of itself I will fail Him, I will fail you, you would fail me, but when we keep our eyes on Jesus, He who began a new work in me and in you will complete it to the very end. Therefore, all this burden of religion, of trying to do what I cannot do for myself, God has done it for me. It's not I who live, but Christ who now lives in me. And this life that we live in, 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 God. It's no longer us trying to live our best life now, but it's to submit to a holy God who makes us holy, and we confess our sins to him, and we tell him, God, I don't have it all together, but you have it all together, and your grace is sufficient, your mercy is new every morning, and you have told me if I come to your throne, you would raise me up. That is the God of Scripture. But listen to me, it's not a card to sin whenever you want. If you met that God today, He will finish the work He started in you. To the very end, that's a burden. Lift off me. I grew up in a church that told me this is what I have to do. This is what I should do. This is what I cannot do. I cannot hang around these people. And every time I focus on my own effort, I would feel God. And God in sound doctrine would say, Hey, let that all go. I will fulfill the work for you. That's a different God that I know. Every God throughout history are small little G-gods and goddesses, tell us this is what we got to do to be ponder with you. Christianity separates itself from that. Christianity says because you are sinful, you cannot keep anything. You can't do anything right. But I have a son, God says, and this son is perfect. He is good. He is righteous. In fact, I'm going to dethrone him from the gates of glory. I'm going to make him as a child in a poor manger. This, is, wasn't, this wasn't the uh, Hilton Inn, guys. This was the barn. Get doodoo all over the place. The Holy of Holies was born in a manger. A, hum- a humble setting. He would live the same life like you and I, but there's something very drastic different about this human. He never sinned. He was perfect. He demonstrated his perfectionness, his holiness, through his right relationship with his Father. Today, you can have that relationship with the Father, through his Son, Jesus. And as we sing today, we're going to ask God to give us clean hands, pure hearts, so that the glory of his name may be manifested among the earth. So this is how we're going to respond today. I thought it was very encouraging as we responded last week. And I want to do it the same way. One at a time, family at a time, there's going to be three, there's going to be four sections. One, two, three, four. And separate yourself as much as you can. We can't fully understand this separation, what's going on and all about. When, when, when the band begins to sing, if you feel led, would you join me and my family down here at the steps? The steps doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. But it's a reminder, everyone listen to me, it's a reminder that we're in this together. Are you with me? We're in this together. We're asking the God of gods, the Lord of the universe, to free us from ourselves. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we come to you. We confess our sins to you, that you are the perfect Redeemer. You are holy in all your way. And we sing to you, our matchless King, for you alone are worthy. Rescue those who does not know you today. Redeem those who, or restore those who do know you. In the name of the Father, name of the Son, name of the Holy Spirit, we say loud and proud, everyone together.